Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture reading today is Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, and verses 17 through 20. Hear the word of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, we're beginning a new series, and we're doing this in partnership with Community West and Eternity Church, two of our sister churches here in Richmond. We'll be focusing on the theme of joining in God's mission, taking up our role in the Missio Dei. That's the fancy Latin way of saying the mission of God, Missio Dei. God is on a mission to rescue and heal the world, and he includes us in this mission. One of the ways we see this in our passage is in Jesus sending the disciples. The pattern we see really in all the Gospels is that following Jesus always leads to being sent out by Jesus. To come into relationship with Jesus means to be included in his mission for the world. Disciples inevitably become missionaries. Not just some of them, all of them. If Jesus calls you to follow him as a disciple, you can be sure that he's also sending you on mission. Let's dig into this passage by looking at four imperatives of the mission that Jesus gave to these 72 and that he still gives to us. In other words, Jesus is saying, do this. You know, sometimes Jesus just tells us what to do. Well, here are four things he tells us to do, four imperatives. First, pray. We see this in verse two, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What is Jesus saying? The harvest is plentiful. In other words, there are all sorts of people out there who are ready to embrace the inbreaking kingdom of God. They are ready to respond to the good news about Jesus, or if they're not yet ready, they will be ready if only someone would come alongside them and point them toward Jesus. The harvest is ready. But, Jesus says, 
the laborers are few. In other words, there aren't enough people willing and ready to join Jesus in his kingdom work. The demand is greater than the supply. There aren't enough people willing and ready to do the word and deed ministry that Jesus has modeled for his disciples and equipped them to share. Now, what we might expect Jesus to say at this point is, therefore, rally the troops, drum up some enthusiasm, get out there and get to work. The demand is greater than the supply, so increase the supply. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, the laborers are few, therefore pray. Pray. This is the first and most foundational missionary task. In other words, it has to come before everything else. And even while everything else is happening, prayer has to continue underneath it. You see, the first move isn't to get out there and get to work. The first move is to pray. Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Earnest prayer. The the Greek implies intensity and persistence. A more literal literal translation might be plead with the Lord of the harvest or beg the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So there's an urgency about the work of prayer that Jesus is calling us to. I wonder if you take a quick mental inventory of the things you regularly pray about. Is this on the list? Are we regularly asking the Lord to send laborers into the field? Are we regularly praying for the people he sent? Is it earnest prayer, urgent, intense, persistent? See, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, and he's asking us to ask him to fill the field with workers. Pray. That's the first imperative. Sometimes Jesus tells us what to do, and here he says, pray earnestly. Second, go. That's the second imperative. You know, maybe when the disciples first heard Jesus call them to prayer, they did what I bet a lot of us just did. Um, We felt a sense of relief. We thought, okay, prayer, (laughs) I can do that. I can pray for the missionaries that the church supports or that I support. I can pray that the Lord would send out others into the harvest. It's fine, by the way, to pray for that. But see here that one of the ways the Lord answers our prayers about filling the field with workers is that he sends us. He makes us the missionaries. See, wrestling with God in prayer about the harvest actually prepares us to be sent out into it. And so we see this second imperative in verse 3. Go. Again, to be called by Jesus is to be sent by him. If you've experienced his grace, you're called to share his grace with others. This is God's pattern throughout the entire Bible. He saves and he sends. He blesses, but it's always so that the recipient of the blessing can become a blessing to others. That's what we see in our passage. The disciples have been called to know Jesus and his goodness and his grace. They've been invited to experience his shalom. Remember, that's the the Hebrew word for peace. It's about flourishing in all of our relationships with God and others and even with the created world. And then the disciples are sent out to extend this shalom by sharing it with others. And so this rhythm ought to be a regular part of our experience with Jesus. We're being gathered by him and scattered by him. We're drawn to him and then we're sent out with him. Notice that Jesus sends the disciples out both with his authority 
and at the same time in a position of extreme vulnerability. It's like we flourish ourselves and we help others to flourish when we embrace both, both authority and vulnerability. See, on one hand, Jesus sends the 72 out with extraordinary authority to bring healing and deliverance and transformation to the lives of other people. In that sense, they have this incredible strength, the strength of Jesus Christ himself, his power, his authority. But because it's the power and authority of Jesus Christ, it's vulnerable power. It's power that exposes itself to risk. It's always and only the power of humble, self-giving love. And so we see that obedience to Jesus in this area of joining him on mission involves real risk. It involves the possibility of resistance and rejection. Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, you see, that might not have been encouraging to the 72. I mean, guess what usually happens to lambs in the midst of wolves? Uh, They get eaten. Lambs are entirely defenseless against wolves. Lambs don't walk around with shields and swords. They have to depend entirely on their shepherd for protection. And you see, that's by design. That's the way Jesus wants it. He doesn't want us marching out as crusaders. He wants us moving out in weakness and vulnerability. Sometimes we put off going because we think we're not ready. We think we're not prepared. We think we don't have what we need. But you see, the point Jesus is making is that the mission really does depend entirely on him. He sends the 72 out without any of the resources they would naturally have wanted to take with them. No money, no knapsack, no sandals. He sends them out vulnerable and needy and absolutely dependent on him. He is the Lord of the harvest. And his plan is to extend his shalom through people who are willing to exercise the authority he's he's given from a position of weakness. So family, Jesus is sending you. He will give you everything you need for the mission, but it might not be everything you think you need. So pray and then go. Third, love. Now, Jesus doesn't use the word love in our passage, and yet that's pretty clearly what the mission is all about. Jesus is sending out the 72, and he's sending us to share in his ministry of word and deed, which is a way of extending the shalom he desires to bring to the entire creation, this this flourishing, this peace. And he does it all in love. The work itself is an act of love, healing people, serving people, sharing with people the good news of God's kingdom. Let's look at some of the details of this. What we see is that Jesus aims at the micro level. He doesn't launch some huge program or evangelistic campaign. He sends out his disciples to enter into real relationships with people who are willing to receive them. That's what this language of the son of peace or the person of peace is about. Jesus is saying that as we go out, not everyone is going to accept us and receive us, but some people will. Some people will welcome us and be interested in us. They'll be willing to be served by us, but they'll also be willing to serve us in different ways, which sounds to me a lot like friendship. There's mutuality. There's a desire to be together, to share things in common. Jesus is saying, when you find these people, stay. Invest in these relationships. Stick with them. 
not notice so that you can get uh, to some kind of um, point where they're eager to make a commitment. Jesus doesn't say anything about that. Why do you stay? Because you want shalom to come into their lives. You want them to flourish. And they want it too. I mean, they're already people of peace. You want to bless them and they want to bless you. Are you going to talk about Jesus in these relationships? Well, I guess you will if he's important to you. (laughs) But you can do that without pressure. I wonder, family, who are the people of peace in your life? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone at your place of employment. Maybe it's someone at your school. The people who aren't Christians, but but they're open to you. They like you. They're, they're willing to receive you. They, they listen to you. They, they serve you. They, they let you serve them. Let's assume that who they're really open to and eager to hear and eager to serve is not you, but Jesus. <laughs> See, the harvest is ready. Maybe God is inviting you to practice bold vulnerability in those relationships, to be more open than you have in the past about following Jesus and the challenges of that to offer maybe simply to pray for them, to bless them in some way that points to the goodness of God's kingdom. See, we want these people of peace, these people of shalom, to know the source of shalom, the king of shalom. We want them to know and trust the one who promises to make all things new. So we love them. Jesus sometimes tells us what to do, and he says, pray, go, and love. He says, share my shalom with these people of peace. Finally, rejoice. Look at verses 17 through 20. The 72 are now returning from their little mission trip and they're rejoicing, but their posture is concerning. They're basically super pumped up about what they did. They're like, Jesus, that was amazing. Even the demons were subject to us. We had no idea we had that kind of authority. And Jesus basically says, yeah, there was something really great about it. I saw Satan fall like lightning. It's like Jesus is saying, the powers of sin and death and the devil were really being beaten back. I think that's what Jesus is saying there, uh, that there's spiritual warfare happening and it's warfare that the disciples are winning. You see, the disciples' instinct is to rejoice in that. It's to rejoice in what they've accomplished. Their default mode is to ground their identity and their success in mission and in ministry. And if we do that, we'll move out on mission with fear and anxiety. We'll be desperate for results because that's what will validate validate us. See, we won't really be able to love people because we'll always be worried about their response. Are they going to receive me or not? Are they going to listen to me or not? See, loving and serving others will become just another way of loving and serving ourselves. If things go well, we'll be filled with pride. If things don't go well, we'll be filled with despair. Which is why I think Jesus says in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's that about? You know, in Jesus' day, to have your name written anywhere was a really big deal. Only the most wealthy and powerful would have their names written down. And so when Jesus says that your names are written 
already that means something really significant has happened, something that gets at the core of our identities. You know, there's a religious framework, and maybe it's the one that you have, that says you might get your name written in heaven someday, but in order to make sure you get your name written, you have to do X, Y, or Z. You have to perform. Uh, You have to live a good life. And of course, you have to obey Jesus. You have to pray and you have to go and you have to love and you better be successful because only then will your name be written. Your name will get written in heaven someday if you measure up. Your name will get written in heaven maybe if you adequately take up your role in the mission of God. And so try to grasp how paradigm-shifting it would have been to hear Jesus say, your name is already written in heaven. In other words, the verdict that hangs over your life, it's already in. And we might wonder, what about all the successes and failures that are still in my future? What about the faithful prayers and, and the failures to pray? What about the times... That, that I've moved out on mission in the humble love of Jesus and the times that I failed to do that? What about the good things that I'm still hoping to do and the bad things that I might slip up and do? See, it's like Jesus is saying, yeah, that's interesting, but it doesn't change the verdict. The verdict is your name is written in heaven. You're in, you're accepted, you're loved. And so you can be at peace because your name is already written in the one place that matters. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm the ultimate son of peace and I receive you and I care for you and I feed you and you can stay with me. How can Jesus say this? Well, we find out as we read through the rest of the gospels I mean, we see him living this life of perfect faithfulness for us, but we also see him going to the cross and dying for us. He lives this life of perfect love. He prays perfectly for us. He goes on mission perfectly for us. He loves perfectly for us. He rejoices perfectly for us. But then he suffers the consequence for all of our failures. And that's how he can say your name is written in heaven because he is so comprehensively and totally caring for us in his life and death and resurrection. And so family, rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in what you've accomplished for Jesus. Rejoice in what Jesus has accomplished for you. Rejoicing in that transforms mission. Mission isn't a burden. It's a joy. It's risky. It requires vulnerability. It might mean resistance and rejection, but you see your name is already written in heaven. And so beneath every risk are the everlasting arms of Jesus, the good shepherd, the son of peace, this one who will not let you go. He's telling us what to do. Pray, go, love, rejoice. And he's also giving us what we need, his very life. Believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.